listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Thank you for joining us again as we let the Bible speak today. It is my privilege to bring the Word of God to you week by week in these programs, and I trust that they are beneficial to your soul. Today we come to a portion that is so very relevant to the day in which we live. Whilst there are those struggling financially, we must recognize that we live in a nation that is marked by tremendous prosperity. And to each of our hearts, the Lord speaks in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 17, where he says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Why don't we pray and we'll ask for God's help now as we come to consider the word of the Lord. Eternal God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you, O Lord, for the scriptures that speak to us so relevantly, speak to our hearts, speak to the troubles that we would find our hearts facing, being consumed with this world and all of its goods. Help us, O Lord, to be wise. Uh, those, O Lord, who have financial stability and indeed prosperity, that they be wise, O Lord, as they would use all you've given them for the glory of your name. So help us now, we pray. Give us a submissive heart to study the word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. We touched on verse number 17 of 1 Timothy 6 uh, several programs ago. Verse 17 says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. And we saw how that applied to the earlier verses in 1 Timothy 6 regarding godliness with contentment being great gain, that having food and raiment, we are to be content. So food and raiment describes the necessities of life. But God does not give all of his children the simple necessities in this world. In his providence, there are those who enjoy so much more than food and clothing. Perhaps that describes most of us uh, listening to this program today. We have so much more than life's necessities. We are those who, in the language of Paul at that time, he would describe as being rich in this world. There is a link in these verses to what we have seen more recently. Verse 19 tells the rich man to ensure that they work in such a way that they lay up in store for themselves a good foundation, that they may lay hold on eternal life. That idea of laying hold on eternal life was, of course, used by Paul in verse number 12, as he charged Timothy, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. This reinforces the thought that Paul's words to Timothy go 
beyond their application to Timothy, he is to be an example to all Christians as a man of God. His example in his life as he lays hold on eternal life is then applied in this instance to those who are described as being rich in this world. If you like, verses 17 through 19 are the practical outworking of verses 11 through 16 for the rich. 11 through 16 describe the responsibility to flee materialism, to follow righteousness, to fight the good fight, to lay hold on eternal life. And Paul is now giving very direct application to those in the church who are rich in this world. Perhaps Paul is thinking that verse 10 could be misinterpreted. In verse 10, he told us that the love of money is the root of all evil. But it's not money itself that is the root of all evil. It is the love of it. And there were those in the church in Ephesus and in other churches who were suspicious of all material giving. Back in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, we saw that there were those who were forbidding to marry, to command people to abstain from meats. And Paul had to make the point, God hath created to be received with thanksgiving. There was, again, the gracious giving of God in this world and this world's goods are not in of themselves intrinsically wrong. But there are certainly dangers when we have this world's goods. I think when we understand the historical context, we will see that this does apply to all of us. We live in this nation in varying degrees of prosperity, not poverty. So how are we to live with the riches that we have? How are we to do this and still lay hold on eternal life? Remember, this is a a real and a present danger. Over in Matthew 19, there was the rich man that came to Jesus and he had much possessions and he left the Lord sad because of his unwillingness to give up his possessions. And the Lord uh, makes it very clear that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 19, verse 23. The disciples are perplexed. They say, well, who then can be saved? And of course, it is possible with God to save even the rich. And so whilst there may not be many rich in the kingdom of God, there are are those who are indeed prosperous in the things of God, who are, of course, rich in this world's goods. But the danger is there. And the first thing I want to consider with you uh, today is that riches, they present an obstacle to saving faith. The rich man is to told, is told to lay hold on eternal life. And in the Bible there are many references, and we saw those references, to the connection between faith and eternal life. God loved this world, John 3.16, so that those who believe would not perish but have everlasting life. And so life is offered to those who believe. It makes sense then that if the rich are going to know eternal life, They also must believe. Unbelievers have no hope of eternal life. Please mark this again today, that if you do not have faith in Christ Jesus, you have no hope of eternal life. No matter how good you may be, no matter how generous you may be with your riches, if you do not have faith in Christ, then you have no hope of eternal life. But riches themselves, those things that we have of this world's goods, can present a serious obstacle to true and saving faith. 
Riches can lead to pride. Paul tells Timothy to charge those the rich that they be not high-minded. It is a term of pride. Riches can cause pride as we contemplate our personal accomplishment. We, we think about what we've achieved. The rich fool in Luke chapter 12, as he contemplates the the benefit and the great harvest that he received, he speaks of his fruits and his goods. He says, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And the rich man is smug when he sees his financial accounts. We're at this point of doing tax returns, and uh, there are some who will sit back upon the chair with a sense of smugness as they contemplate all that they have of this world's goods. They have become high-minded, believing that all they have, they have because of their own ingenuity, perhaps their own industry, and they believe that they are rich because of all that they are. Oh, that is indeed not a wise course of action. When we possess riches, it should lead us to humility and thanksgiving. All that we have is only from the Lord. Anything that we have of this world's goods has been given to us by the Lord. Hence, they are to be received with thanksgiving. Pride is the opposite of faith. When riches lead to pride, it is a hindrance to true saving faith because faith is a forsaking of all. Forsaking of all confidence in self and a clinging only to Christ. And so riches, they present an obstacle to faith in that they may lead to pride. They also may lead to false security. Paul used the terms trusting in uncertain riches in verse 17. Trusting in uncertain riches. In Mark's account of the rich ruler who had much possessions... He points us in a direction slightly differently to Matthew. And he makes the point, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? So what does trusting in riches look like? Well, it has the sense of our security and our peace and our rest being found in our confidence in what we possess. If we trust in riches, we take them to be the foundation of those things like security and confidence. That is foolish. Why is it foolish to trust in riches? Well, because Paul tells us they are uncertain riches. Theft, disaster, financial crashes, all of these things can quickly rob us of all of the riches of this world. The wise man in Proverbs 23 says, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. How quickly can riches fly away? God, however, God never flies away. When God is our confidence, we are having confidence in that which is unfeeling. Not that which is uncertain, but that which is continually reliable. God is the reliable, trustworthy God. The people of God in the Old Testament when they left Egypt and they were going through the wilderness and entering the promised land, they were given some warnings by the Lord. 
that as they entered the promised land marked by prosperity, they were told to beware that they would not forget the Lord. We have those words in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 11 through 14. The danger was that when they had eaten and were full and had houses and dwelt, when they had all of their herds and their flocks and their silver and gold, when all of these things were multiplied, then the danger was that their hearts would be lifted up and they would forget the Lord their God. You cannot trust in money and God. Your confidence for eternity must rest in either money or God. If your trust is in money, it will fail. It will not bring you into everlasting life. But trusting in God is that which gives us the confidence of life now and life hereafter. And of course, that confidence in God is found in trusting his work of redemption in the person of his son. True faith is humble. True faith is God-dependent. In true faith we forsake all and we follow Christ Jesus. In true faith we confess our unworthiness. We confess our inability to please God. And in true faith we rely on Christ and Christ alone. And I understand that faith also enjoys the gifts of God. Faith recognises that all that we have comes from God. And so we are to trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. We understand life to be a gift and the gifts in this life, they come from the Lord and they're to be enjoyed, not with self-indulgence, but with gratitude. And so as you live in this world, it is right and proper to enjoy all that God has given you. But you do so acknowledging it to be a gift from God. Because what is most important, of course, is the gifts that we have in Christ Jesus. That in Christ we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. And so our confidence is found in Christ and in Christ alone. So perhaps you might describe yourself today as not being tremendously rich in this world's goods. But truth be told, your confidence is found in this world and it's not found in Christ. Well, I warn you today, I warn you as a minister of the gospel, I warn you to put your confidence in Christ. And you give up trusting anything else, yourself, your church, your goodness, your money, whatever else it might be. Do not find your peace and security in these things. But as you lay your head upon the pillow at night, may your peace and may your security be found in the fact that you are safe in Christ Jesus. That he is the reliable saviour and whatever befalls you in this world, you know that your soul is safe in Christ. Riches present an obstacle to such saving faith. But secondly, riches do present an opportunity for faith to work. There is the general principle in the word of God that the faith that lays hold on eternal life is a faith that is unto good works. This is made clear to us in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 through 10. Those verses tell us that we are saved by grace through faith. It tells us that these things are the gift of God. We're not saved by works. But the faith that saves us is a faith that involves works because we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. James also tells in James chapter 2 verse 18 
Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. It needs to be regularly repeated and emphasized that works do not and cannot save us. But the faith that saves is a faith that works. And riches present us with opportunities for our true faith to be lived out. Paul tells Timothy to charge those that are rich that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Those who are rich in this world's goods must be, in the will of God, be rich in good works. What will this look like? Well, it would look like they will be ready to distribute. The word distribute that's used there is the word for impart or to give. It's translated give in Ephesians 4, 28 and also Romans 12, verse 8. They're also willing to communicate. The word communicate is taken from the word for fellowship, for communion. It has a sense of sharing involved. It's used in Hebrews chapter 13 regarding our spiritual sacrifices But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. And the sense of the words is really very obvious, that those who are rich, they are to do good in large measure by being willing to give and to share what God has given them with those in need. James chapter 2 tells us that it is a terrible thing. If someone would see their brother or sister being naked and destitute of daily food, and they would say to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body. Rather, true saving faith will seek to minister practically to those who have these particular needs. 1 John chapter 3 tells us the same, that whoso hath this world's good, And seeing his brother hath need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So we are told here that good works are are not just those works of preaching the word of God or praying for someone, but good works are intensely practical, using our financial means to help those who do not have those same financial means. We must seriously examine our finances. This is a charge to those of us who are rich. What will we do? How will we apply these words to our hearts? How will we adopt these principles? It is not advocating a carelessness with our finances. It is not advocating a giving of money without any due process or proper consideration, but it is advocating a generous spirit, a willingness to give with an open hand. You see, as we close, such saving faith, that saving faith of the rich that is willing to distribute and communicate, that saving faith is motivated in verse number 19, that those who do so will lay up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Lay up in store speaks of treasure. It's like the words that the Lord uses. 
in the parable of the rich man who's building those barns that we thought about earlier in Luke chapter 12. And God says to him, Thou fool, uh, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What Paul is telling us here is really a financial term. That the best investment is to give your money away. It's not wise to store up money, but it is wise to generously use it for others. The point here is that we do not buy our way into heaven by our good deeds, but rather the use of our money is a window to our soul. How we use our money and what we treasure are indications of where our heart is. Matthew 6 verse 21 tells us, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Christ speaks of laying up treasures in heaven, laying a good foundation for the future. In other words, that our hearts would be focused upon that which is to come. The Lord and Paul, they are not saying that we cannot use money to enjoy things. He's already said in verse 17, That we are to trust in God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Paul and the Lord are not saying it's wrong to save. There are portions in the word of God that indicate that in the parable of the talents that the one with the talent is at least to put the money into a safe place that it would give an inheritance. That it would give some interest. We're told in the Bible that the righteous man will leave an inheritance for his children's children. So we've got to hold these verses with balance, considering all of the word of the Lord. But the challenge to our souls today is that we as Christians would be generous in our spirit, that we would keep these things and have an open hand willing to give to the need of others. All that we have has been given to us by the Lord. We thank the Lord for his goodness. We thank the Lord for his generosity. But God is gracious in that he gives us these things and also warns us regarding the danger of these things. This portion has warned us about the danger of trusting in uncertain riches, the danger of being proud in those things that we have. And so in summary terms, when you study the book of 1 Timothy, there are some very clear principles regarding the Christian and his money. According to Timothy, our lives should be marked by a degree of simplicity. Having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. We've got to guard ourselves from the discontented spirit that wants more and more of what this world can offer. We are also to ensure that in this world, those things that we enjoy, we are thankful to the Lord for all he has given us. Again, First Timothy 4 verse 1, For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving. So dear Christian, I encourage you, live a life of simplicity. Live a life full of thankfulness to God. Live a life marked by contentment. First Timothy 6 verse 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Simplicity, thankfulness, contentedness, and also a life marked by generosity. That those who are rich 
that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. All of this for the child of God is really what grace does in our lives. Left to our own devices, we are proud. Left to our own devices, we are discontented. Left to our own devices, we are uncaring of the needs of others. But by grace, the Spirit of Christ is worked in our souls. And so by grace, we show the love of Christ in this world. The love of Christ that is revealed to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Christ shows us what it is to live in this world in a manner that pleases God. He was rich, dwelling in the very glory of God, and he left the splendor of heaven to come into this world. He came in marked by tremendous poverty. He had no place to lay his head. He had nothing of this world's goods. And as he came and sacrificed himself, he did so that we who were poor might be rich. He gave himself for the well-being of others, for the spiritual prospering of those he came to save. And so as we contemplate all that we have in this world, may God give us the grace that we would show a Christ-like spirit, that we would be willing to sacrifice of ourselves, sacrifice of our resources, sacrifice our time, that others may benefit, that others may be spiritually nourished and enriched. Not that they would simply have more of this world's goods, but that in our lives they would see the love of Christ. And seeing his love in us, then they would come to love him, to give their lives for him. And so they would by faith therefore lay hold on eternal life. That's how these verses, they all come together. Riches may hinder true saving faith. True saving faith trusts in God. It relies on the Lord. And so in turn, it has a burden for the well-being of others. The Bible is so relevant. It is so searching. And may it search our hearts today. May God's word speak to our souls that by his grace, we would live lives that are beneficial for the good of others in a fallen world. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.